uh, new community. We are on a Zoom interview right now with Joel Randall, uh, who's been a longtime uh, member and vested uh, person in new community and uh, works in the medical profession right now. And so we're going to interview him and uh, try to see what's going on in our community, uh, both here locally and globally, uh, considering uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, and uh, get, a, uh, get a look through his eyes. So welcome, Joel. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So, Joel, let's uh, let's start with a couple of absolute softballs here. All righty. Um, first of all, um, give us a little bit uh, about yourself, uh, where you're at, stage of life, family, kids, uh, some of those things that would maybe help some of our people that don't know who you are to get to know you a little bit. Sure. So I am 42 years young. Uh, I am married. We have been married nearly 20 years. So wow. we got married as children. Yeah. <laughs> Amy and I have three amazing kids, um, 14, 13, and nine, two boys, one girl. And we have lived here in Spokane for just about 15 of those years of marriage. Okay. Where were you guys before? Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Uh, are you from finish, Seattle originally? Finishing or? grad school there. Yeah. So born here, right here at Sacred Heart. Yeah. I grew up on the west side of the state in okay. Lake Stevens and then came back here for undergrad, met Amy. We moved back to Seattle for grad school. And okay. then right when I finished up uh, my training, we moved back here. Yeah. So born in the greatest city in the world. And it, it is for sure. The greatest state in the world. This <laughs> That's right. Never left. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, how long have you been a part of New Community? Since uh, roughly 2005. Okay. And uh, group, I know that you have been really faithful, uh, both you and your wife, really faithful in a small group for a long time. Uh, but maybe yeah. talk just a little bit about that experience as well. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we, we came to Newcom in 2005, and the only time that we left New Community was with the Branches plant. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which and, was like 2010 or 11, somewhere right now. Ish. Right? Yeah, right in there. So even during that time, we continued to be a part of leading um, a small group, which has <laughs> largely been a massive group over <laughs> many of those years. Uh, and I think that group began, um, boy, I want to say 2008, maybe 2007 ish. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that group, uh, has really been who we've lived life with. We've, uh, gone through, as, as you know, Kevin, major, uh, changes together. We've had tragedies together. We've celebrated together. It's, it's truly who we live life with. They're amazing yeah. people. Um, and so, uh, myself and Jonathan Hook are the formal co-leaders. Yeah. And have been for some time, but, that group is made up of a lot of people that jump in and um, facilitate when needed, uh, when called upon. We serve in great ways together. So, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. Uh, so for all of you listening, this is uh, for a long time, as long as I've really been on staff, one of the groups that we've looked at and um, tried to model a lot of the things that we do in <laughs> training group leaders on. One of my favorite stats about your group, and I don't know the exact numbers, but um, at one point, 
what was the total number of kids in your group? Oh, geez. The highest number of kids. Can you, <laughs> do you remember that number? Uh, we're probably there right now and I'd have to, <laughs> have to map it out, but it's, oh boy, it's probably, boy, Amy's gonna <laughs> hit me with this one. It's probably, I'd guess, 20, 25 kids. Yeah. Which, ten, I mean, 10 adults. Yeah. And so some of your, I mean, your kids are actually kind of growing. Uh, obviously yes. they're, they're getting a little bit older, but at one point, I know a few years ago when you guys were meeting, it was like 25 kids under the age of 10 or something. It's, it's crazy. We actually had to have, I mean, a babysitter is not the right word for it. We had, yeah. we, we had a wrangler at yeah. one point <laughs> where we just separated a yeah. portion of whatever house we were destroying at the time. And that yeah. person was sole purpose was to keep the madness down. So yeah. yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah. I can imagine, uh, that <laughs> that person was pretty frazzled at the end of the yeah. night. Well, yeah. uh, again, thanks for joining us. Um, Absolutely. and, uh, again, you have been a, a faithful person within your community. Um, so we kind of have seen that side of your life, uh, as you've described to us, talk to us a little bit about what your current job is right now. So I am a critical care medicine advanced practice provider. And so that means nothing to me exactly. or most of us. Yeah. <laughs> so that, it's always followed with the description of what an APP is really comes in two flavors. Um, a PA, which is what I am. That's my training, a physician okay. assistant and a nurse practitioner functionally in the hospital. There is no difference. Okay. Um, there's a difference in training. We don't need to get into, uh, but functionally there is no uh, clinical difference in the hospital setting between a nurse practitioner and a PA. Okay. And so I'll refer to that group of people as APPs. Okay. And really how we function in any setting we're in, but in particular in the hospital and in my specialty in critical care medicine, we, you can think of us as an extension of a physician practice. Okay. So the group of Physicians that I work with are fellowship trained critical care medicine physicians. Um, and now you take an APP in a different setting, whether it's an OB practice or family practice or neurosurgery or, sure. you know, cardiac surgery, they're going to function as an extension of whatever practice they're in at the time. Okay. And so I've worked at Sacred Heart for my whole career. Um, initially with the pulmonary critical care group, which about half of my practice was lung specialty and the other half was critical care medicine. And, uh, that practice was bought by purely an intensivist group. Um, and so I have been exclusively in the intensive care unit, uh, for the last few years. But prior to that, it was split all over the hospital. Okay. So, um, you, uh, based on that description, it seems like you might be right in the heart of what is going on right now. So, um, maybe talk yeah. to us. Uh, so the, one of the things we've discussed a lot is, um, we, there is no lack of, uh, things, articles that you can read about and information that we <laughs> can gather sure. from, uh, any variety of sources. 
Yeah. I'm sure some of it is great. Some of it's probably total trash, uh, but there is a lot of information out there. So from somebody that we trust, somebody that's actually on the inside of this, um, what are you seeing? What, um, what is a, maybe a day look like kind of in your environment right now? Right. So that's a, it's a complicated question and I'll sort of unpack that in pieces. Sure. Um, uh, to get to the, the information piece, this is a really important part that I think we should start with. And that is where you get your information. And I think I, what I've been doing, Kevin, is directing people toward uh, the CDC website. Yep. The Washington Department of Health website, which so far I have found to be the most up to date and helpful from yeah. a day to day basis. They have lots and lots of information for anyone looking for the right type of information. Yeah. Um, in terms of what to do if you're exposed, what setting you're in, and, and how to proceed in that fashion. Um, our local Spokane Regional Health Department website is is a little bit behind in their information, and the breadth of information is not robust. Sure. But the Washington Department of Health is, is fantastic. Okay. okay, so that's the information piece. Um, what my day-to-day looks like today compared to what it will be is vastly different. Okay. Yeah. Um, Give us, yeah. Help us to understand that. Yeah. So every area of the country is in a, in a very different um, (laughs) state of disaster. And, and what we are dealing with right now is preparing for a significant surge. Okay. Um, So my team is very much, on the front lines in terms of preparation for that surge. Joel, when you say surge, do you mean uh, infected patients? Infected patients that are critically ill. And okay. so, I, you know, I would refer back to your talk with Aaron a yeah. couple of weeks ago. If anybody has not listened to that, it was fantastic. He did a, a marvelous job kind of laying the groundwork for the biology of COVID-19 and we don't have to rehash a lot sure. of that stuff. Yeah. However, when I, when I talk about critical care medical surge, when, when we're trying to do the types of things socially that we're doing now with social distancing and all of the significant measures our community is taking, my team, the surge in numbers of infected patients and critically ill people that's what we're trying to flatten. We are trying to make it to where our capacity in our city to take care of actively dying patients yeah. is, is much less than it otherwise could have been. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we have a limited resource. Every mm-hmm. community has a limited resource in terms of number of critical care beds. And within those critical care uh, beds and people to take care of those critically ill people, is the number of ventilators we have available. Yeah. And so um, there's always a delay between the initial increase in numbers that you see in infected people. There's a delay between that initial uptick, which we're seeing now, yeah, and the number of, of people needing critical care beds. Yeah. And which then limits our ability to take care of ventilated patients people that need breathing machines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so we're expecting 
when I say a surge, a, a significant increase in number of critically ill patients. We're expecting that surge within a week or so, and then it's going to continue to increase and then probably plateau for weeks and weeks. Okay. We, we think. And that's part of the problem with this virus is there's so much that we don't know. Um, which is nerve wracking for someone in science sure. that <laughs> yeah. we, we like to know things and act on data and evidence. And right now there's just, it's very uncomfortable for us because we just don't know a lot. Yeah. And this is maybe goes again, back to what Aaron was talking about is um, the projections that you're making. This is just yeah. based on data that's available right now. And, uh, and then coming, going off that data to say, this is when we think the surge will happen based on what's happened in other areas, right? How long we think the surge happens and so forth. Is that correct? That's correct. And, yeah. and it's a limited data set, no doubt, because yeah. this is also new. But we have data sets that initially came out of China um, and then sort of replicated around different areas, hotspots, I'll call them, around the world, be it Italy, South Korea, um, within our own country, New York State, yeah, Washington State on the west side of the state, yeah, parts of California. Now it's, it's really surging in Louisiana and Florida other hot spots throughout the country. Sure. And so we, we sort of extrapolate their experience to what we expect here. Yeah. So, um, before we started the interview, uh, we were chatting and you, you're on a, a couple of days stretch here of off being away, uh, from the hospital. Yeah. You go back in, in a few days. Um, we hope that, uh, like I said already that you are rested and ready to go back in yeah. when you do head back in, um, what do you anticipate is um, is going to be the sense, the the feeling, the um, kind of maybe the morale of the medical uh, community? I'm and I'm thinking specifically doctors, nurses, yeah. everybody that's kind of on the uh, the medical community side, not so much the patients, families that are there, um, but but your side of it. You know, the, in in medicine. In particularly critical care medicine, emergency medicine, things like this are sort of our, our Super Bowl. And I've heard that description thrown out there a little bit. And I feel that way. It's, it's also, um, you know, when you prepare for worst case scenarios for years, yeah. it's almost like, it, I, I hate to say I look forward to it, but I'm geared up for it. I'm ready for it. My team is ready for it. It's not that we don't get nervous. Um, we certainly will get burnt out at times yeah. and need to step back and step away and recoup, but we're ready. Yeah. We, none of us would have gone into this crazy field if we weren't, uh, emotionally, <laughs> academically, uh, physically ready for something, <laughs> something like this, not yeah. quite to this extent. We, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of other people in other areas of the country that have dealt with massive numbers. And, I, it, you know, it's nerve wracking to think of what they've gone through and knowing that we're going to potentially go through some of those very difficult situations ourselves. But we are ready for it. Yeah. As best we can be. 
So um, take a minute and explain uh, to me what makes Spokane uh, a unique hospital setting for this. So before, again, we started the interview, you were talking about uh, the few patients that came off the cruise boat. Why did they come to Spokane and, and what makes this a unique, uh, a specifically unique setting? Sure. Um, with, with Ebola um, and the patients that came uh, were sort of distributed around the world. This is a small world. People travel freely, and a lot of folks don't know that they're sick prior to getting on a plane or a boat or a car or where, whatever means of transportation. They can get somewhere very quickly. With the spread of Ebola, um, our government created a system of regional distribution of patients with highly communicable deadly diseases. And there are 10 regions throughout the country that group those patients together. Spokane is one of those 10 hospitals throughout the country. Interesting. That have uh, a, a special unit. We call it a special pathogens unit. It's really a biocontainment unit. Yeah. Um, where there are 12 beds um, to deal specifically with highly infectious patients. Yeah. Um, and so we've been training in that capacity for years. Um, you know, really that's an effort of biocontainment. What we're dealing with right now is far beyond biocontainment. It's, yeah. it's throughout the, all, all kinds of communities and we can't contain the virus any longer. And so those patients that came to Spokane off of, uh, a cruise ship that had been docked initially in Japan and then Tokyo flew here because they were all American citizens. Um, initially they flew to various military bases throughout the country, but they were quickly overwhelmed and yeah. didn't know what they were doing. And so they distributed a lot of these folks to these 10 regional hospitals that could take care of them. Yeah. And so we had those four patients initially um, I was on that team uh, taking care of those folks. Yeah. Um, there were four of them. They have all since been discharged. They yeah. were never a threat to our community. Um, really largely they were completely asymptomatic. Yeah. But shedding virus nonetheless. And that's one yeah, of sure. extremely dangerous things about this virus in particular. People don't know they're sick, but can spread the disease like crazy. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> what are ways, what are maybe practical ways, uh, beyond prayer or, and maybe prayer is the best and only way. Um, but how can we care as a church community care for the, uh, larger medical community, uh, in Spokane right now? Distance. <laughs> yeah. It, it really is the only thing we know how to do. Yeah. Um, um, it, it sounds terrible to say there's nothing that can be done. Um, but there really isn't a lot that the general community can do yeah. to help with anticipation of what's coming. Um, if someone knows how to, how to manufacture ventilators, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. Yeah. Um, N95 masks, uh, are, already in short supply. We are anticipating a massive shortage of those. So I would say if anyone knows how to get a hold of a stockpile of appropriate 
masks and gloves and that sort of thing, um, it would certainly be helpful. Yeah. Uh, and we're already seeing some community effort in that regard, both locally and nationally. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be a huge issue. You can imagine, you know, in our setting, one patient just to be ruled out for COVID-19 over a period of three or four days has, you know, a bedside ICU nurse that comes in and out of the room. They have a respiratory therapist that comes in and out of the room. Uh, various providers like myself come in and out of the room. You have administration. You have um, all sorts of people from lab and x-ray and, yeah, you know, it, each one of those encounters requires putting on lots of different garb, yep. being in that room, and then taking it off when they get out. And so yeah. you go through massive amounts of protective gear just to just to rule someone out. Yeah. Now, if someone's actually critically ill, that process is going to go on for a period of usually weeks. And so day after day, you can imagine how much... Um, what we call PPE or personal protective equipment we're going to go through in that setting. Yeah. And so if we don't see uh, community and local community, state community and national community effort uh, to fix that problem, we are in a world of hurt. Sure. So um, the best way to care for our medical community is distance. I'm assuming yes. you're referring to uh uh, me showing up to your house and bringing you dinner because you've been working really hard. Not a good thing, not a good way to care for you. But I mean, shooting you a text, sending an email to people that we know are working within the medical field. I mean, are sure. those ways to continue to encourage and at least let people know that, hey, we are behind you. We are supporting you. We are praying for you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would never discourage that. Please don't dis be discouraged if if we can't get back to you. Sure. Yeah. But, um, there, there are I know, thankfully, I live in a community where I'm extremely well supported emotionally and spiritually by people that love me deeply. I know that's going to be a constant. And I just yeah. just know that I, I can't get back to when I'm in the thick of it. I'm not going to be able to return totally. a lot of those messages. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, support really is. It's critical in a, in a period like this where. um we're, there are going to be times where we're overwhelmed and super tired, not seeing our families for days on end. Yeah. Um, and that's coming for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we're kind of getting towards the, the end here. I've got maybe one or two more questions, but, sure. um, uh, Governor Inslee just, uh, kind of made the mandate of, I, I think he's calling it stay home, stay safe or something along those lines, essentially mm -hmm. saying, Hey, um, really no essential business is happening now. Uh, everybody needs to just stay home. I, I believe it's a period of 14, 15 days, two weeks, something like that. Uh, what are you and your family um, doing to uh, recognize the need to stay home and actually um, go beyond just the social distancing, but saying, no, we're actually um, we're doing more than just being uh, conscious of our interactions with other people. We're not interacting with other people. What does that look like? maybe for you or how would yeah. you help us to understand that? Well, all of us have to go through that decision tree um, for sure. And when this first came out, we were just like everybody else um, and weren't really sure how to navigate that well. 
Um, and as time has gone on, we've very much taken the advice of uh, various experts uh, in their recommendations to stay away from each other. And what that looks like for us is, you know, Zoom meetings have been critical. Uh, there are so many different platforms that we can use to connect with each other within the community. Um, we've we've had meetings like this with family members from, in different parts of our city and other parts of the state. But maintaining um, social access without the typical forms of access that we take advantage of all the time. And so um, we have been diligent with really separating ourselves, especially because I am a, a higher risk for exposure. Sure. Um, not meeting with friends, not going to play dates. Yeah. We don't really call them play dates when my kids are <laughs> as old as they are, but yeah, uh, we don't hang out with people in close quarters right now. Yeah. And it's going to stay that way for some time. Yeah. And thankfully, we're not alone in that. I, I think our community has responded in a beautiful way so far um, with taking social distancing seriously. We will only find out how well our general community is doing in that regard in, in the coming weeks and months. But, um, you know, when when our government tells us to take this seriously, um we need to, we need to listen. And sure. I think one little aside, I will, I will say without getting too political when we're talking about government response, um, you know, there are people that are going to sort of default to, um, economic principles in a time sure. like this, because there is devastation, no doubt. A lot of people in our community within new community and, and elsewhere uh, have been and will continue to be devastated financially by this situation. No yeah. doubt about it. Um, and you'll, you'll hear in the coming days and weeks from a national government perspective that we need to get our economy back on track. And the only way to do that is to get rid of this annoying social distancing thing. Um, you'll, likely here on a state and local level, just the opposite message. And so I would, again, refer to reputable sources, namely the Washington State Department of Health, the CDC. Um, listen to health experts in that regard and sort of cut out the noise of uh, other messages. No doubt this is going to cause devastation financially. Yeah. Um, but what I don't want to do is get into a uh, a situation where we're sacrificing lives um, and really sacrificing the entire capacity of the health healthcare system in general, um, because we want short-term gains in the markets. Yeah. Um, and, and please hear that from someone that is going to be dealing with this for weeks to come. If we don't take this seriously, uh, we are not going to make it from a healthcare perspective. Sure. This, this is <laughs> this capacity. Just to put it into some numbers, I just heard uh, in New York, they have roughly 5,000 ICU beds in that city. Um, and they're expecting roughly 15,000 beds at their surge, uh, at their top need. 
So you do the math. That's a lot of people that are going to die because of lack of capacity. And so if we don't flatten that curve and make that need go way down, our ability locally to take care of a lot of people, obviously we're not going to have 15,000 beds needed in Spokane, but we're going to need thousands and we only have (laughs) much less than that. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, yeah, it makes total sense. It's, I, I think, um, from somebody who's, uh, not in, in it every day, uh, besides reading articles and right. uh, staying around my house, um, it's easy to get swayed by some of the other things, uh, sure. because I will likely, uh, if I speak just personally, I will likely be more affected economically by this than I will from the medical side of it. Now, certainly, and I hope that this is not the case, but uh, I could become infected or a family member or somebody that I care for could, um, could become infected and and potentially there could be loss of life. And obviously Mm -hmm. that's not the scenario that anybody wants. I'm Mm -hmm. just making some educated guesses that um, I will feel the economic ramifications more. So it's easy to kind of allow yourself to go there and wonder, oh my gosh, when, what does that look like in my life? But right. to hear, again, to be recentered and say, um, you know, loss of life, this is, this is where our focus needs to be on is mitigating that as much as possible. And I think that speaks again, more to the heart of God too, if we were going to try to bring this back to, you know, a, a place of where um, right. our foundation is laid. Um, God cares for all life. And, uh, and that seems pretty clear throughout, uh, throughout scripture. And so, um, in, in a way to practice these social distancing, uh, these things, and in fact, even take them beyond just social distancing, but say, no, I'm, I'm going to, in fact, stay home and Mm -hmm. uh, out all of the unnecessary stuff might be a way to lean into your faith in a a really practical way and say, no, I, I too care about life in the same way that God cares about life. And, uh, and therefore that's going to create some uh, significant ramifications for me and that's okay. And, uh, and then we hope that God meets us on the other end uh, as a God of provision and a God of taking care of us, which time and time again, he's shown us that that's who he is. So for sure. Maybe, uh, and I don't know that we didn't, I didn't write this one to you. So, um, I'm not sure if you've thought a lot about it, but, um, how are you, uh, how are you continuing to be a man of faith, uh, a, a man of high moral character, uh, a person who sees Christ in all things amidst, uh, a, a growing and ominous tragedy like this? Well, we alluded to, um, small group earlier. Yeah. Uh, we, we're really blessed to have people that, um, I get to live life with. And so I've been able to reflect on a lot of these things, pray with people that I, I know and trust and that know my heart. Well, um, that challenge me when I need to be challenged, that encourage me when I need to be encouraged. Um, being with people that, that can do a good job of that. And thankfully I'm married to an amazing woman that sees my vulnerabilities in ways that are unique. And she knows when I need to step away, um, to spend some additional quiet time recentering myself. Yeah. Um, Amy's wonderful at (laughs) recognizing when I've gone beyond (laughs) my stress level and I don't even know it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, she sends me away for a little bit to 
get back on track. But um, more specifically, my my own practice is very intentional. Um, I, I very much need to take care of myself. It sounds very trivial, but mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, I have to exercise. Um, if I don't, I'm I'm not ready for the battle, so to speak. I can't yeah. sustain that level of energy for any length of time. Um, I meditate very intentionally with um, a, a quiet space. Thankfully, we have a, a space that our family gets to go to that's beautiful and secluded and quiet. Yeah. Um, and so to get there and, and meditate intentionally is very important. And then spiritually diving into um, topics, whether it's, you know, the, the study that we go through at Newcom, really hashing that out with our small group and individually um, reading very intentionally uh, praying specifically about our community uh, needs and my own needs as well, knowing that we're going to go through this together. Yeah. Um, So I don't know if that answers your question well enough, but I think, you know, my, my, practice is very intentional to reground myself um, when needed. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think that's exactly what I was looking for. And it, and it, uh, it sounds like <clears throat> it's that uh, daily practice of recognizing what are the things that you need to do in order to center yourself, ground yourself to be ready mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. um the best version of yourself uh, to be the version that, that Christ has called you to be, whether it's with your family or uh, while you're at work. And I think those are, it can easy, uh, can become easy just to let go of those things amidst oh, chaos sure. and craziness. But even uh, when time is short, when, uh, when there is high stress um, yeah. to continue to come back to those things and say, no, this is, this is what I know God has called me to. And this is the person yeah. God has called me to be. And I'm going to continue to lean into that. And, uh, and then know that out of the overflow is what I can give. I think is a really encouraging thing to hear. So, yeah. Yeah. Jewel, any, uh, any other things that you uh, would want to impart to us? Um, I don't think so, Kevin. I think we've touched on the major things. I, I think, you know, this is an unprecedented time. This yeah. is a, a, a time that our world has not seen um, in decades in a lot of ways. And uh, you and Russ have uh, done a very good job with with the talks that I've heard you give in this time of isolation to really highlight what what we're all going through and yeah. just to know that yes, there are some of us on the front lines in terms of dealing with patients on a day-to-day basis, but we're all going through this together. We all have various degrees of anxiety and fear um, and really, uh, frankly, financial needs. We all have tangible needs that we can step up and lean into in a time like this. And yeah, um, although there's not much that people can do for me in terms of helping the medical community in a critical care pr- perspective, there are lots of things that we can do as a community to help each other. Yeah. I, I'm so encouraged by our small group's response to needs that are coming up. And will continue to come up uh, from our church stepping up and and 
doing significant things, but also our, our local school community. It's just, it's wonderful to see what we're able to do as a people yeah. that love and care for each other in a special way. And I'm yeah. really encouraged by things like that. That's great. Uh, and that seems like a really, um, a great way to end our interview. So Joel, we are uh, incredibly thankful for you to come and join us, uh, especially on what is just a few days off <laughs> before you go back into the badness. So um, we will be praying Pleasure. for you specifically, and we will be praying for uh, the rest of our community uh, uh, of medical personnel within new community and just within Spokane and, and around the globe, because um, you guys are on the front lines and we want to make sure that, uh, that we are uh, praying for you each and every day. So thank you very much for uh, being with us. My pleasure. Anytime. Yep. New community. We hope you enjoyed this interview and uh, we hope that you have a safe and healthy day. Bye.